welcome to Launch, the GCC podcast. I'm your host, Marty Duran, Director of Communications for the Great Commission Collective. We're a global network of churches partnering together to plant churches and strengthen leaders. On this episode of Launch, GCC's President Dave Harvey interviews new GCC board member, Bob Lapine. This is a wide-ranging interview, but mostly Bob tells his story, how he got involved in ministry, but some earlier stuff too, how he got involved in broadcasting. Many of you recognize him from his years at Family Life Radio. So he talks about what led up to that, and they talk about some life stuff in general. You should enjoy this episode of Launch with Dave Harvey and Bob Lapine. Thanks, Marty. Hey, I'm really excited about having Bob Lapine join us today. Uh, Bob, Bob, you've been co-hosting Family Life now for 28 years, and you are now transitioning out. I mean, we were just talking about this when we were together recently at the conference, and I, I know that's regrettable for a lot of folks, but for Great Commission Collective, that's that's really good news because it it has opened the door for you to join our board, and it's been great having you participating and great having you on this podcast as well, Bob. Well, I, I'm really excited about what God is doing through GCC, and uh, the, it's a privilege for me to come alongside the work that's already being done and and to look together at how we can grow the movement and grow the kingdom as a result of that. So uh, I'm thrilled with that. Uh, 28 years at Family Life has been a real uh, blessing for me. Uh, it's been a, it's been great for Marianne and me, and a real privilege to get to do what I've I've been able to do. But I'm also looking forward to this new season that that God has set up for me. Um, in addition to working with GCC, I get to give more attention to the local church that I helped plant back 13 years ago. And we're at a point where we need more hands-on, more full-time from me. And so I've started diving into that. And uh, this is a this is another uh, rewarding season. I'm, I'm encouraged about where we are and where I see God taking us. And I'm, I'm really encouraged about the the fruitfulness that I'm anticipating in your life and ministry and your local church in the future. Um, but today I thought we would focus more on the past and talk a little bit about an area of, of your life. I mean, you're a pastor, but you bring this whole world of communications um, expertise and experience into your role of pastoring. So I'm going to talk a little bit, little bit about that. How long have you been in communications, Bob? Well, actually, I studied uh, communications in college. That was my major as a communications major. I, I did it with the idea that I was going to go to law school after I graduated from college. And I had a relative who said, don't, don't do pre-law because if you decide, if you change your mind, your pre-law degree is worth nothing. And he said, law schools don't really care what your degree is in. They just care what your grade point average was. So he said, study something you think you'd like and something you'd be good at. And so I got into communications with a focus on radio and television because I thought it was fun and exciting. And I had some aptitude in that area. Um, and and as I got into it and and studied it in college and then started uh, working in radio, I, I delayed going to law school when I started working at a local uh, news talk radio station in Oklahoma. And in the middle of my summer job with that radio station, they came to me and said, we'll give you a raise if you will 
stay for another year. Why don't you postpone law school? And I thought, well, th- I'm having fun and I'm making money and I don't really want to go back and start cracking the books. Maybe I will put this off for a year or two and see how far this goes. And if it doesn't work out, I can always go to law school. That's still my plan. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm at a point here where, where, uh, I just, I, I followed the path and, and God took me in some, uh, in some remarkable places over the course. So I've, right. I've been a, I've been a communication student really all my life, looking at how people effectively communicate and, and what goes into that. Now you said something interesting in, in relaying your story there, you said it was something that you discovered you had aptitude for to talk a little bit more about how that surfaced and was that other people telling you that was that experiences you were having where you had opportunity to, to operate in those kinds of roles? What, what did that look like? Yeah. For, for whatever reason, you know how people uh, freeze up when they see a microphone, I have the opposite impulse and I'm sure there's, there's, there's something nefarious in that, but I see a microphone and I, I gravitate toward it. Um, when I was a sophomore in high school, three days before the high school talent show was going to happen, uh, whoever was lined up to be the MC quit. And somebody came and got me out of geometry class um, in sixth period on a Wednesday and said, we've got the talent show coming up on Friday. We need an MC. Would you be our MC? I don't know why they picked me out as a sophomore to be the MC of the talent show, but it was pretty kind of a heady experience. And I did it and I loved doing it. The, the improvisational nature, the thinking on your feet, being able to be quick and glib, uh, was just something that was, I think, natural for me. And so I, I emceed the talent show my sophomore year and then my junior year and then my senior year. And it kind of became the expected role for me that I would be the, the master of ceremonies for uh, events like that. I, again, just because in the moment I was able to to kind of think on my feet and respond to what was going on. So I, I don't know how that got built into me, but it's just kind of always been there. Yeah, I, it is a when when you see it operate well and effectively, it it is. Uh, I, well, I, I joke with you; it's a superpower because <laughs> so many people don't have it. I certainly don't have it, and uh, and yet when it when it works well, and you see somebody who can, for instance, MC a meeting effectively and bring continuity and and create a sense of community, um, it's it's a wonderful thing. So what was the first job you had? What was the first full-time job you had, Bob, in in communications? I was a news reporter for a news talk radio station in Tulsa. This was right after I'd graduated from um, the University of Tulsa, which is where I studied. Uh, And this was was in the early days of news talk radio, but I was sent out. I covered a murder trial. I covered the city council meetings. I would be the one filing the reports from – the scene of whatever the news event was I was covering that day. And over time, I, I moved from reporter to anchor. So I was I was doing the news. I did a couple of call-in shows early on uh, on our station. Just got a, uh, an opportunity to be in, in a variety of roles in that environment and, and loved the, again, radio is a spontaneous medium. You have to be in the moment and be paying attention to what's going on. You're interacting with callers. You're not sure what they're going to be saying. So I, I just uh, 
I, I loved the excitement of that. Um, I, live radio is a little bit like like walking a tightrope without a net underneath. You're never sure how safe you are in what you're doing, but the thrill of that always kind of excited me as well. And uh, I did that for a year and a half until I started hearing on Christian radio uh, programs that that I was interested in and music that was appealing to me. This is the late 70s. So I first heard Chuck Swindoll in the late 70s, and I thought, well, this guy doesn't sound like the radio preachers I've heard before. He doesn't scream and beg for money and then come back and followed scream by, the next day. Followed by second chapter of Acts. Singing. <laughs> right, right. So, so here he was intelligent. He was articulate. He was communicating truth. He was funny. I thought, you know, if there were more people like this on the radio, I could, I could listen to that. And it's, it's a, something that I'd want to be a part of. And so in 1979, I transitioned from News Talk Radio to a local Christian station, and we were playing the Imperials and Amy Grant and Second Chapter of Acts, the early days of Christian music, along with Chuck Swindoll and J. Vernon McGee and Back to the Bible and what were the kind of the known programs at that time. That's when Focus on the Family first got started. It's when John MacArthur first came on the radio. So there was really there was something happening in the late 70s, early 80s that was a kind of a takeoff point for Christian radio to be more than it had been. Was that something that you were perceiving at the time, just the connection between the gospel opportunity and these mediums uh, that was taking place in your mind, or did that come afterwards? No, I, I was I was seeing it happen and seeing it I was seeing the opportunity for it to happen. I was seeing how uh, it could facilitate uh, day in, day out discipleship for people uh, in a mobile society, that they would always have access to what hopefully was going to be solid biblical instruction, encouragement that would come from Christian music. And, you know, I look back at some of that early Christian music, and a lot of it was was uh, pretty shallow stuff. But it was it was an away we were in the infancy years of, of Christian music and just to hear anybody expressing their faith in in the contemporary style of song was something that was exciting for us and then when you got guys like Keith Green come along um, guys who had some substance to what they were singing about and guys who were provocative I remember listening to the very first Michael Card cassette that I bought in the early eighties and thinking there's some lyrical depth here. There's some power. There's some, uh, some emotion connection. I, I, I started to see the opportunity for this to be something that could be um, if, if it could somehow keep from becoming an industry, it could be something that could be really good for the body of Christ. Now it, it evolved and we can all look back and, and look at contemporary Christian music from the eighties and the nineties I, I see a lot of people doing it today with a little bit of a uh, some cynicism and uh, the nostalgia that is tainted with, uh, gee, we didn't know any better back then. And and I, I it, we had our flaws, but but also in those days, I think God was at work and was doing something. The Jesus revolution that had happened in the '60s and '70s was starting to express itself through media, and that was exciting to be a part of. Hmm. Yes. So how did the how did the pathway to family life uh, take shape? What, what was the doorway that you walked through? 
to, to I, get into that role. I had uh, worked in in local Christian radio in four cities uh, from 1979 until 1992. So over a 13-year period, I'd been in Tulsa, in Phoenix, Sacramento, and uh, then I'd spent the last seven years as the station manager of a radio station in San Antonio. And during my time there, I also had a daily call-in talk show where I did interviews with guests, typically telephone interviews, uh, where a book came out or, or just something that interested me. I'd get the author on the phone. We'd talk about it. And um, I, I enjoyed the interaction around the content there. One of the people I interviewed a couple of times in that seven-year period was Dennis Rainey, who was the president of Family Life. He had written some books. Family Life was doing Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaways in San Antonio. So we helped promote those events. And I did the interviews with Dennis as a way to help publicize the event that was coming. And I remember thinking that Dennis was a better than average interview, somebody who had substance and was easy to interact with. He told me later that he remembered that I was a better than average interviewer because he'd done a, a lot of Christian radio and had just found that a lot of the interviews, there wasn't, wasn't much back and forth. People weren't really engaging with the, the content and so he called me in May of 1992 and said, Family Life is thinking about starting a daily radio program. We need somebody with background and expertise. Is that something you'd be willing to help us with? And I said, like a consultant? And he said, no, we need somebody full time. And honestly, we loved San Antonio. We were actively involved in our local church. I wanted to try to buy the radio station I was working at and God just made it clear over about a two or three month period that his plan for us was Little Rock and family life. And uh, that was the path that he had mapped out. I remember being at the, the airport with Mary Ann after we had visited family life for the first time. And we looked at each other and, and I said, I don't want to move here. And she said, I don't either. And then we both said, but I think we're supposed to. And there was part of the confirmation was that we didn't want to do it. Um, but just, you know, it's like, okay, we're not doing this for carnal reasons, for fleshly reasons. Yeah, I understand. But we felt an unction, a, a compelling, uh, that this is where we were supposed to be. And so in 92, I came here to help family life launch its daily radio program and, uh, and help design that and, and then be a part of it and have great guests like Dave Harvey on you were on three or four times with us when 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 sinners say i do first came out we interviewed you yeah. we we interviewed you around a book that you did on on prodigals you co-authored a book on hard messy relation what's the title of that book that's right letting go rugged yeah. love, wayward souls which by the way that interview is still one of my favorites i would point people to the family life archives to go back and listen to that because it was such a healthy helpful presentation and then we had you on again when you wrote i still do uh so you were one of our go-to guests over the 28 years that i've been well, at family you life. and you and dennis did something that i i haven't seen you do very often and that was you actually spontaneously called my wife in the middle of the interview <laughs> and caught her in a in a in a supermarket and and interviewed her as well 
we decided we wanted a little authenticity thrown in. We didn't want to just hear from the expert about <laughs> marriage. We wanted to get it from the horse's mouth. Not that your wife is the horse's mouth, you know, but you know what yeah, I'm saying. Sure, sure. So we, yeah, we called her. We had fun calling and talking to Kim. And that's just part of the fun of radio is to be creative and spontaneous on the fly like that. Bob, you talked about your experience in, in interviewing Dennis, a, a better than average interviewee. You know, interviews can be memorable for a number of reasons. It can be because there's rich content or because there's a deep sense of connection that becomes evident as you're listening or, or because something unusual happens. Give us one of your most memorable interviews and, and talk about why it was so significant for you. Um, I've been reflecting a lot on some of the highlights of the last 28 years. And in some cases, the interviews that stand out are interviews with people who um, God had used in my life. I remember meeting Elizabeth Elliot for the first time and having the opportunity to sit down with her and talk about her relationship with Jim Elliott, to talk about how God had worked through the uh, the struggles and the trials of her own life. And and she was as compelling in person as she was in the presentations that I'd seen her do. And so in, in some cases, the ethos of the person you're interviewing makes the interview memorable. When we interviewed R.C. Sproul, um, I remember that being – that was a highlight moment for me because I'd benefited so much from his ministry over the years. Hmm. But but honestly, Dave, um, there are people we've talked to through the years whose names you would not recognize – but the interviews were riveting because they were they were peeling back and sharing with us um, real stories of redemption, and those were always the interviews that stood out for both Dennis and me, where people would just. I, I remember we were in a conversation with a couple who had had a very difficult start to their marriage. He was an alcoholic. They had run off as teenagers. Their marriage was a, me- a mess. His wife said, my prayer on the day we got married was that he would be sober that day. Um, and and they just had marriage difficulties all the way through. And in the middle of the interview, we were asking them questions about dynamics and challenges. And I don't remember what I asked, but I remember that this couple froze up and didn't know how to answer the question. And they said, can we stop the tape? And we did. And they said, to answer the question you just asked, we would have to share something we've never shared with anybody before. And that is about the abortion that we had. Hmm. And we, we took a minute and said, well, we don't want to, you know, they said, our family doesn't know our kids don't know. Nobody except the two of us knows that this happened. And, and we, we paused and said, okay, here's an option. If you're comfortable with this, Let's continue the interview. If you're comfortable answering, you've just told us what happened. Answer it and then just go home and pray. And if you want us to edit it out, we can edit it out and nobody will ever know except us. But if you if you feel like you want this story told, now's a good time to do it. So we, we continued the interview. They went home. They called about a week later and said, um, we're ready to open the door to that part of our story. And it was healing for them. It was healing for their family to be brought in before the interview aired. They got together with everybody and said, we've never shared this, but we got asked about it recently. It's going to be on the radio. You should know. And 
God then used their story in so many lives mm -hmm. of people who said, that's our story. That's our moment as well. To be a part of those moments over 28 years, that's that, that's just been a great blessing from God. Wow. That, that is beautiful. You know, Bob, hearing that story reminds me of my own experience of being in the studio. And, uh, you know, you guys and, and, and the ladies there put a lot of thought into how to create an environment, which means you put a lot of thought into the experience of being an interviewer, an interviewee, the, the, the nervousness and all of the mechanics and dynamics that take place. And one of the things I'm thinking about right now is that there are pastors that are listening who, who do podcasts, uh, who blog, or who aspire to do either one of those. And, and you have experience in both interviewing and writing. So why don't you talk for a second? Let's isolate podcasting or interviewing. Talk to the pastors that want to do that or are doing it. What makes for a good interview? Well, I've told our, our folks over the years that as we look for the guests that we want to bring onto the program, we need people who have, uh, first of all, compelling content, and then secondly, have the ability to share that content in a compelling way. If you have compelling content presented dryly, nobody's going to stay with you. If you have to pick between uh, lightweight content told in a compelling way and compelling content told in a lightweight way, pick the compelling uh, telling of the story. Mm -hmm. People will listen to a well-told story, even if it's not a great story, but they're not going to listen to a great story that's poorly told. We were always looking for guests who not only could articulate their story well, but we were also looking for guests who both had... If, if they had, if, if what they were sharing was a personal story, they needed to have the ability to interpret their own story, not just to tell their story, but to, to look at their story and, and take it apart and see what God was doing in the midst of it and, and interpret it. If they were experts on a subject, you know, sometimes we would interview people who were PhDs on a particular subject. We also wanted to make sure that they weren't just sharing their research, but they were sharing out of their own lives. Hmm. Uh, I think of the passage from scripture where Paul says, you know, we, we came not just to share the gospel, but our, our very lives with you. So we wanted a guest who didn't just give us clinical information, but gave us personal information. And if you had somebody who had the ability to interpret their story, could tell their story well, and had some level of expertise on the subject matter that you were dealing with, that's when you had a great interview. Um, hmm. I would have people who would call me all the time and say, I just had dinner with so-and-so. Their marriage story is a powerful story. You should have them on the radio. And I had to tell people over and over again, the fact that somebody has a powerful story doesn't mean it's a podcast or a radio interview. They have to be able to tell it well. And uh, we were always looking. I wanted to hear somebody um, interviewed in another setting before I was going to interview them. I didn't want to be the first interview they ever did for mm -hmm. a national radio program. Um, I, I wanted to make sure that I, I had a, a good confidence that these were people who could carry on a, a compelling conversation. So we did a lot of vetting with the guests we had in. And as a result, um, we wound up having very few interviews that 
that didn't go well. Yeah. I imagine that you've had to answer this question um, before for pastors and other leaders that are interested in wading into interviewing. Um, because the reality is that that the majority of people that are attempting this are not bringing the kind of tools um, that you would bring or the kind of scale that family life would would bring. And uh, and so it makes me it makes me want to explore, like, how did you think about doing the interview? What was your preparation like? And if it came more naturally to you, then plug into where a guy might be for whom it does not come natural and talk to him or or her about um, what preparation for an inter- interview might look like. Well, I've actually had to kind of pull back and say, okay, what, what do I do? Because honestly, some of this does come discomfortably and naturally for me. But some of the basics I've come up with is whoever's doing the interview, you have to remember you're driving, you're taking the program where it needs to go. So you need to start the program with a roadmap in mind, your podcast with a roadmap in mind. Here are the places I want to go as this conversation unfolds. Here's what I want to accomplish. When we get to the end of this interview, here's what I want my listeners to have taken away. Now, over the course of your conversation with whoever you're interviewing, you may wind up on some side roads you did not anticipate because a good interviewer is engaged with the conversation and they'll hear something pop up and say, we need to explore that a little more rather than just having their list of questions that they read through without ever engaging back and forth on the content. So sometimes your trip in the interview may take you to some unexpected places. But at the end of the day, whoever you're having on, you should have an idea. I want this person on because I want my listeners to, to uh, at the end of this interview, have this to take away from, from this. You're in charge of that interview. Uh, I've, I've used this illustration. The guest you have on is a deposit of crude oil and you are the driller so you are looking as we, each question is, can, can we find oil at the bottom of this, of, of this question? And you just keep looking for where the oil is. And when you find it, you make sure you, you pull as much as you can out of it in the time that you've got before you, you look uh, to go somewhere else. And then I, at Family Life, I, I tell people, as the interviewer, recognize that your listeners tune in to hear you because you're you. They People watch Jimmy Fallon or whoever they watch at late night TV, not because of the guests they have on, but because of who the host is. They count on the host having on good guests, but they, they pick Jimmy Fallon over Jimmy Kimmel because they like Jimmy Fallon. So people are listening to this podcast, Dave, because they like you. And and that means that from time to time, what they want to hear is they want your insights, your perspective, your interpretation. When you have a guest on, don't feel shy about saying, I just want to pick up on something you just said to the guest. You say this to the guest, to the audience. You just said this, and, and I want to unpack this a little bit. I want to give my perspective. That's why listeners are listening to you, because they like your perspective and they like what you bring to the table. And so you need so to make sure. Say, would you say, Bob, 
that the the best interviews are are more of a dialogue, and it's not simply the uh, interviewer uh, feeding questions so that the interviewee can can go in any direction he wants. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a mapped out dialogue. It's not just random. I hear a lot of podcasts today where I go, I don't know where you're trying to take me, and it just feels like you're meandering, and it, I, I get frustrated with those. I'd like to know what are we trying to accomplish here and where are we going and what what do we hope to get to? I'd like to have that mapped out at the beginning of, of whatever podcast I'm listening to. But in the middle of the journey, yes, it ought to be back and forth, shared perspectives, interactive. It's like, Dave, when you came in to record at Family Life, we always had lunch first. And part of the reason was because we wanted our guests to get comfortable with free-flowing back-and-forth conversation around a lunch table because we wanted to duplicate that when we went into the studio. We didn't want it just to be, here's my question, here's your answer, here's my next question, here's your next answer. Hmm. That's very helpful. Uh, Bob, before, before we wrap up here, I want to get to writing and blogging because we, we talked about interviewing and podcasting, but there's a whole other side of this. And I think, I think pastors are finding more and more that their, that, that, that their voices can extend further if they're willing to try to write. And most often that writing takes the form of blogging. It might just be for their church. It, it might be for their church and friends, and or maybe there's a hope to get it out beyond there. But I know this is something that you have experience in as well, both from the standpoint of doing it yourself, and then also as somebody who who writes and writes books, and then also studies writing. So, uh, what makes for good blogging? Um, you know, I, I think what we're attracted to. I'm, I'm back to the same thing I said about about an, a good interview. Compelling content, compellingly presented. Is, is what you're looking for. I, I, I think we have to, everybody has to capture their own voice in writing. I will read some writers and I will go, boy, I just don't have, I, I don't use as many adjectives as they do, or I don't, I don't pretty up my words very much. What, what you see in my writing is a lot like how I would say it to you just written down on paper. Now I try to clean up the grammar, some of those kinds of things, but uh, but but I think writing has to be an expression of your personality in the written word, and then I, I, it takes it takes just constant doing. Uh, once a week, in, for me on Wednesday night after Marianne has gone to bed, because I'm more of a night person, she'll go to bed between nine and ten, and I'll take the next couple of hours and I will write out an essay that's 500 to a thousand words that is on whatever I've been thinking about or interacting with this week. Uh, this week I just read today, I just read a very helpful article from Kevin D. Young about different ways that people are processing issues on race and gender. And it's mm. got me thinking about things. And so as I sit down to write this week, I will probably interact with some of that and Again, I'll have an idea of what I want to communicate at the beginning. I want to I want to go here. I'll probably try to weave some kind of personal or story element, just like a good preacher will pull out an illustration to to make a point. I'm going to try to have that be a part of my writing, so it's not just purely didactic. Um, and I'll try to keep it as as concise 
And as um, I, I read an article years ago that had the headline, Write Tight. And, and the author was saying, instead of trying to make long sentences and write at some kind of a high academic level, make it short, keep your sentences tight, always find the thrifty way to say it rather than the exorbitant way to say it, because readers don't have much time. Uh, get to the point, get there in a quick, compelling way and, and make your point and move on. Yeah, I think maturity in writing is actually using simpler and smaller words. I think when you start, you are eager to impress. And so you reach for words that are, are longer and sentences that are longer. But as you grow, you become more eager to connect, which pushes you towards uh, shorter words and sometimes shorter sentences. I, there are some writers that can pull off really long sentences. Like when I read cl the classics, I think, okay, well, I get this. And yeah, this is well conveyed. But but for us mere mortals, um, <laughs> shorter sentences are, are 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 the better way to go. Yeah. And I think reading reading as widely as you can is is helpful um, because I think there's no better training for writing than reading. Um, I, I'm, I'm reading right now Garrison Keillor's biography um, because I'm I've always been fascinated by his ability to tell stories, and you know the dude will just stand up, and I, I I do think there's gift here. I think he puts some thought into it as well, but he's got an ability to tell a story in a compelling way that has all the ingredients of a story, and it doesn't always resolve. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have that final or that climax of resolution. Nevertheless, he's capable of pulling it off. And so I wanted to, I, I figured he would, he would probably write in the same way. And, and he is, but th this is a study in writing more than it's a study in Garrison Keillor. Well, and I'll tell you, I am always, um, I'm always analyzing speakers. I hear writers. I read in addition to interacting with the substance of what they're saying, I'm looking at the craft of how they're doing it and just trying to say what made that compelling I remember many years ago, Dave, I was at um, a National Religious Broadcasters Convention. This was in 1986, and it was before Jimmy Swaggart had had his collapse, and he was one of the speakers at NRB. And I remember going to hear Jimmy Swaggart speak, and while I was not a fan of his theology or his doc doctrine, I, I was fascinated by his ability to move an audience, and and I, I just studied what's he doing, and and honestly, I found it a little manipulative, and and found that he was uh, he, he knew how to to uh, you know pull pull people's triggers, and and I didn't want I didn't want my speaking to be manipulative, but I did want to say what what techniques is he using for persuasion. And is there a way to honorably do that in in my own communication? So I'm always looking at who are the compelling communicators. I was helped recently listening to an interview with Tim Keller, and Kevin DeYoung was interviewing him and, and asking him about his own communication style. And Tim said, you know, I'm never going to be John Piper. I'm never going to be as as emotive as John Piper is in his speaking. So we have to be who we are. But I think 
with with that we can bring in the tools of the trade that tell us how can we how can we incorporate into our own personality those techniques in writing or speaking that make for com- compelling communication. Mm. That's excellent, Bob. I'm I'm just so grateful for, you know, when I think about your 28 years at Family Life and we haven't even we're going to have to do a whole other interview to talk about you planting the church and and the burdens behind that and but I'm just grateful for your labors uh, not because it's brought you a platform but because of the substance that you share and the character behind the substance. So Bob, if, if someone wants to follow you now that you're wrapping up with family life, how, how can they do so? Well, I'm, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I, I don't tweet daily, but I, I, you can follow what I'm doing at FLT Bob. That's my Twitter handle. Um, I'm on Facebook. You just Google Bob Lapine and I'll, I'll pop up on Facebook. Um, they can follow what's going on at our church, Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock. And sermons are posted there. There's a blog. The blog that I do is is on there. And, um, you know, I'm happy to connect with, with folks as there are ways that I can do that to, to help advance the kingdom. So um, they can get in touch with me through GCC. Well, thanks for joining us, Bob. Been a delight. Good to talk to you, Dave. Thank you for listening to Vaunch, the GCC podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, why not take a moment to do that in your favorite podcast app? Also, rate and review the podcast when you get a moment. That helps us with search results. And recommend us to your friends, maybe other pastors that you know, who will benefit from the content from this podcast. Also, don't forget to check out our website if you haven't done that already. It's gccollective.org. That's gccollective.org. And there's a lot of helpful information. There's articles. There's how you can join the GCC, whether a church planter or an existing church, and plenty of other content that will help you grow spiritually and encourage you in your leadership journey.